Good morning, friends. I'm going to read the scripture, and it's from the book of James, and it's the closing of chapter 4 this morning. So I'm going to read verses 13 to 17 of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to read to you a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. I've been um, reading more of Spurgeon over the past year. As many of you might know, um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the last uh, 200 years uh, from England, um, and uh, very, very um, wonderful commentaries on the Psalms and other things. But I've recently just been reading again about his life and kind of enjoying, you know, his preparations and his brilliance in, in teaching God's Word. But there is something that struck me in this idea that we have been talking about for the last few weeks about worldliness. I want you to hear what Spurgeon, who was a pastor for many, many, many years, what he said. Listen to this as we begin. The course of rebellion against God may be very gradual, but it increases in rapidity as you progress in it. And if you begin to run down the hill, the ever-increasing impetus will send you down faster and faster to destruction. Christians ought to watch against the beginning of worldly conformity. So we've been talking about worldliness, right? And how worldliness kills us. How we can get sucked in by all the world thinks about how we should be and should live and put as priorities. I do believe that the growth of worldliness is like strife, which is as the letting out of water. Once you begin, there is, not, there is no knowing where you will stop. I sometimes get this question put to me concern, concerning certain worldly amusements. Pastor, may I do so-and-so about some questionable thing? I am very sorry whenever anyone asks me that question because it shows that there is something wrong already or it would not be raised at all. If a person's conscience lets him say, well, I can go to questionable thing A, he will likely on his own very soon go on to B, C, D, and E and through all the letters of the alphabet. When Satan cannot catch us with a big sin, he will try a little one. It does not matter to him as long as he catches his fish what bait he uses. Beware of the beginning of evil. For many who bade fair to go right have turned aside and perished among the dark, the dark mountains in the wide field of sin. I want you to just think about that. Just how easy it is to crash and burn. And as... Spurgeon says, kind of fall into destruction. We can lose everything. We can lose our lives. We can lose our souls 
We can lose all that's important as God wants for us if we just give in to even a little thing. Um, And we all do, right? But here's the problem. This is what I'm trying to get at from what James is teaching us today. There's a lot of things that we just kind of say, it's not a big deal. Everybody does that. Is it really that bad? And then we're captured. We've taken the bait. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that You will help us to think about this passage in James and Lord, that You may guide us to understand it through Your Holy Spirit that sheds a spotlight onto our hearts, into the corners that we don't reveal to show, Lord, where we have gone wrong, where we've gone off the rails, where our disordered loves have messed up our lives and leads us to destruction. I pray, Lord, that You would give us eyes to see Jesus, the one and only perfect obeyer and keeper of God's Word and God's law, the Savior of our souls. Lord, help us have eyes. Every single one in here, every single one of us, including my own heart, give us eyes to see Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. In the summer of 1992, I was 22 years old on the footsteps of Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. I joined Hebrew class first, intensive Hebrew, and got kidney stones. And so I had to quit because it was hot. There was no AC in the men's dormitory. And I had to, I I took one semester. I was supposed to take three. I had to stop and then recover. And then I took summer Greek before the fall. Well, when the fall came, it was first day of guys who were regular guys, you know, not doing the summer stuff coming in. And I met this guy from California. I love California, but you know, I had not had a friend from California in quite a long time, but this this dear guy who ended up being really, really close friends with, um, I met him and this is what immediately struck me because I can remember that day in this conversation. He proceeded to tell me what the next 10 years of his life was going to be like. Day one of seminary. He said, I'm going to do seminary first, then I'm going to get my doctorate, And then I'm going to teach at this university, go back to California, and then I'm going to get married, and then I'm going to do so-and-so. I was like, what? I don't even know what I'm doing today. (laughs) And I felt very, very kind of puny in comparison to his grand plans. He was a wonderful guy, and not all his plans turned out that way, by the way. The Lord humbled him. I saw that. He ended up uh, actually being one of our you know, closer friends, and so we got to keep up with him a little bit. But um, why am I sharing that? Because James is talking about a spirit of presumption in this passage. Kind of a, a haughtiness that comes with us thinking that we've got it all under control. And so... I want to connect that idea with what we've just talked about, which is destructive speech about brothers and sisters in the church and our neighbors, things that are slanderous or harmful. And it's really a revelation of ungodliness and that we're really not godly people or true believers. Let me say that another way. We may say we are certain things, but our lives betray us. Our speech Patterns of sin in our speech betray us. And so also attitudes. Our 
way of going about daily life. I want to read to you a passage I read to our um, staff and our session this last week. It's from the book of Third John about a name I didn't even remember was in the Bible. Okay, pastoral confession. Listen to this. Third John, just one chapter, verses nine and ten. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, that's the guy's name, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, this is the Apostle John speaking, now aged later in his life. This is third John, remember that, the third uh, letter of John. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. But do you, did you hear something? Listen to this. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. You know what Diotrephes did? He was a kind of a leader in the church over there. He wouldn't accept John's authority. He wouldn't accept the other brothers. He wouldn't accept apostolic teaching. And John had actually written a letter that he kept away from God's people. Did you hear what I said? John wrote a letter. This is what scholars say that Diotrephes kept from everybody because then people would think more highly of John than him. He wanted to be first. He wanted to be preeminent. So, John writes Third John and says, I'm going to make this known. He doesn't accept me. He doesn't accept others. He's even excommunicating believers who want to teach God's Word authoritatively because he wants to be first. Shocking. In the church! Not outside the church. Inside the church. They want to be first. I have two main points here for today. Misplaced kingship. Misplaced sovereignty. Misplaced kingship. Second thing is properly placed kingship. Isn't this crazy that James is writing to the church not to pagans? And saying these words that he just read, that he wrote, he says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You know what James is really saying is, worldliness, this attitude of self takes over. You become first in everything. You want to be first. And everything's about you. And pretty soon, you're captured. You're enslaved. You've taken the bait. Remember what Spurgeon said? Satan doesn't care what bait he uses as long as he gets you. Alright, so I'm going to read to you a few things and hopefully this will... Continue to provoke you in this area of presumptuousness in our attitudes where we really think the whole world survives or rotates around us. We're in charge. We've got it all 
planned and under control. Philippians 3.19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That was Diotrephes, and that's who James is talking about. People whose minds are on earthly things and it's all about themselves. They care about their satisfaction, what fills them, their belly. Listen to what Calvin said. This is a quote from Calvin. They claim for themselves a whole year though they had not a single moment in their power. We are sure of not even one solitary moment. How do you presume so many things? Let me read to you a passage from Luke 12, which is probably um, one of the best uh, stories of Jesus concerning this kind of attitude. So let me read it quickly, okay? And then we'll dive in even further. Luke 12, 16 to 21. So Jesus, the master storyteller, tells this story, which you, many of you churched people have heard, but those of you who haven't, please listen again. Or listen to it well. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Do you know what a, who a fool is in God's eyes? I'm going to read you a few things. One who thinks there will always be more time. The fool thinks he holds the reins of his own destiny. He thinks he has more time to accumulate wealth and, and do all the stuffs and even more time to repent. I'll ask for forgiveness later. Cause I know tomorrow will be there. How foolish. The man in the parable, did he have enough time? He ran out of time. Right? He had a mind on earthly things but gave the things of God no thought. He ran out of time. It's like the hourglass, you know, that you watch the sand come through? Done. Completely empty. Ran out of time. Couldn't even ask for forgiveness for his haughty spirit. Let me ask you an application question right from the start, okay? Are you living your life? Please don't say the answer out loud. Think for yourselves. Are you living your life as if you're in charge? Are you living with an earthly-minded focus? You know that man in the parable, he had misplaced kingship. And that's what James is warning us. Because look at this. He didn't even know what would happen that very night that very night that he said all these things. So what should our attitude? Listen, what should your attitude be part of your application toward God and repentance, the things that you need to confess and repent of today? You're putting it off? You're saying, oh, I've got time for that. 
You know, when I come back from vacation, I'll repent of that. I'll go to those brothers and sisters and I'll fix those things. Uh, is that how our attitude should be towards faith? The things of God about repenting? All of that? He thought he was in charge of his future, but the sad reality was that he didn't even know what would happen that very night. You know, instead, what we should be doing about the things of God, the things of faith, and the things about our hearts towards repentance, you should grab it like it was the last morsel of food that was put in front of you. Or like dollar bills that just got... (laughs) Not dollar bills, let's say... Thousand dollar bills that came flying out of a window. You'll be scratching and clawing to grab as many as you can, as fast as you can, to put it in your pocket. We should hold fast on Christ as quickly as we can while He is near, because there may be a day when He is not near. And the grace of God is not given to you. I want to read to you, I want to go on by highlighting some key thoughts and points here. Um, and I'm going to talk about five things that James talks about in verse 13 that reveal our worldly hearts, attitudes, and presumptions. Okay, Five areas that reveal our hearts, worldly attitudes, and presumptions. And the first one is the presumption of time. The presumption of time. Because this is all in the text. I'm just going to unfold it for you quickly. Okay, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. Or tomorrow I'm going to be there. And this will happen. Right? James is reminding us that our time is not in our hands. It's in God's hands. And we cannot say today or tomorrow. Can't. Because that parable shows it so clearly. He, By the way, did you notice how many times he said, I and my in that parable? I will do this. My barns. How many times was it filled with I and my? And very, very little mention of God. I think that's the point. That's the point. Where is God in your thoughts, speech, plans? Where is God? On the circumference, on the outside, Sunday morning, Bible study time. Where's God? Where's God factored into our thinking about everything that we do naturally and normally and plan as we go through life? God is not in the picture. And again, remember, James is talking to the church. He's warning them and saying, Your lives might say that you are religious, but you're not really of God. Because God just has this side place in your life. God's not a factor at all. So let me go on to the second presumption. A presumption of place. We will go to such and such a city. You know, it's like businesses, you know. Have have you guys seen this new HEB that's coming in Frisco? There's an HEB that's being built in Frisco. That I guess that very... People love this store. I don't know why. But obviously they felt like, hey, Kroger's not enough. Tom Thumb's not enough. We need an H-E-B like Houston. 
And so they're building one because, you know, the business planner said, perfect location, perfect size, everybody will come, right? In such and such a place. Well, you know what? I feel bad for the pizza place right down the street from my house. Nobody dislikes pizza, but that place is dying. No one's going to it. They didn't have it planned right. Even in a corner of a street in Frisco. It's not, it's dying. I keep telling my boys, I'll predict two months. There'll be a sign that says shutting down. Doesn't work that way. You don't have control. Thirdly, duration. James talks about a presumption about the duration of time. We will spend a year there. That's what he's saying. Hey, we're going to go and do this and this on that day in that place and we'll spend a year there. Really? Do you have any idea what's going to happen to you a month from now when there's a recession? We may think to ourselves, we got all the time in the world, but how much time does the world really have? You know, I had friends who worked at the World Trade Center. I worked at the World Trade Center in the North Tower. I used to eat lunch on the veranda facing the South Tower. And you know what I used to think? Those buildings will never come down. They are made out of steel. That's what I, I, I thought to myself. Beautifully constructed, architecturally built buildings. And I actually thought to myself, these things will never come down. <laughs> it came down in minutes. Okay, presumption about activity. We will engage in business. We will do this activity. We will do that. We will go over there and we'll, this is exactly what we will do. Presumption of results. We will make a profit. <laughs> we will go do all these things and we will make a profit. Speak to that pizza guy. He's about to shut down. In this one short sentence, God is not factored in at all. God is kept out. It's all about the self and about the worldly attitudes of the heart that are all about presumption because we think too much about ourselves and we think we're going to know everything. It's like that buddy I met at, at, at Westminster. I kind of thought, man, like I better get this guy's autograph so that someday he might remember that he actually lived in the same men's dormitory with a little guy from, from New Jersey named Jake. The problem is that God is not a factor. And that's James's point. Is God a factor in your thinking? In your plans? The better way, the alternate way, is that James reminds us about four things to have properly placed kingship in our lives. And that's God alone. Friends, can you hear what I'm saying for a moment? If you are planning everything without thinking about God, what you're really saying is, I want to be king. I know. I know better than God. Remember last week? I'm above the law of God. 
My law is above God's laws. I know better. I can plan and do everything. No! No! That's why Jesus says in the parable, You fool! This very night, everything will be taken away from you. And whose will all your stuff go to? If you're so presumptuous. Verses 14 and 15 gives us a better way. Four things to have a God-honoring view of sovereignty. Four things to remember, and I'll try to go through this fairly quickly. The first is, we're limited in our knowledge. We don't know the future. We're ignorant of the future. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Like, look, you might work hard at the things that you're doing. I'm not taking any of that away from you. Some of you are so hardworking in your fields. You're probably leaders in your fields. But the truth is that we don't know the future and that's James' first word to us in showing us proper godly wisdom. You don't know the future. We are not omniscient. We are ignorant of the future. Secondly, we are not infinite. Did you know that? Do I need to spell that out to you? We are not infinite in the earthly sense. We are finite. Our days are numbered. You are just, listen to what James says, like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Okay, let me, I actually want to just read to you a couple of verses that, that point to this so clearly. Listen to this. If I can just find it. Psalm 102, verse 11. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Did you hear that? My days are like an evening shadow. Job chapter 7, verse 7. Remember that my life is a breath. Job chapter 7, verse 9. As the cloud fades and vanishes, you are a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes, James says. We are finite. You know, do you wake up in the morning and say, thank you God for this day? Or do you just assume that you're going to have the day? You know, God did not have to grant you this day. It is a mercy of the kindness and the gift of God that you have another day to live. We should wake up and say, thank you Lord for another day in the land of the living. It is a merciful kindness from you, we are finite. Our days are certainly numbered by God, our Creator King. Thirdly, we are dependent. Look at verse 15. James says, we are utterly dependent on God. You know what the opposite of that is? Self-dependent. He says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. And also do this or do that. That's what we should say. If the Lord allows, if the Lord wills, if God allows me, I will do this or that. You know what that really translates to? If God gives me the strength and the knowledge and the wisdom and the health, I'll be able to do those things. But I am completely and utterly dependent on God. I don't have the ability to do it on my own. Dependent on our Creator King as we were made to be. We were made to be dependent on God. 
Now, I want to point out something here. James isn't just saying, hey, in your Christian speech, every once in a while, just drop the phrase, God willing. Oh, if the Lord allows, we'll vacation with you next year. Oh, God willing, or this or that. No, you know what he's really saying? That it needs to be a profound attitude of our heart, one that we believe that's reflected in our speech, that shows that we are humble and dependent on the Lord rather than self-centered, self-focused, lacking humility, self-dependent. That's what we should be. Really dependent on God instead of ourselves. By the way, that's our daily life. Do you remember I talked about Westminster for a moment? My plans didn't go that well either. I wanted to do two years and get out of there and get into the business world. None of that happened because I got bit by a deer tick in Pennsylvania and got Lyme disease. Ended up staying four years instead of two years. Never made it to the business world. Ended up in the pastorate. Not what I wanted. (laughs) Not what I planned. I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be an elder or a leader or a help to my pastor. But I wanted to have a job like everybody else did. I wanted to be really, really successful in the things of the world, in business and other stuff. It wasn't God's plans. Fourthly, finally in verse 16, he reminds us of the importance of humility. Brothers and sisters in the church, not speaking to those outside the church as James is speaking to those in the visible church. Let me just say a word about that. The visible church is all of us, but that doesn't mean that we are capital C church. Because not everyone in the visible church is the church. James knows that. This is a general epistle. So this is going out to various churches. So he knows that not everyone in the church is the church. The church universal. The church invisible. But James is saying, but community, come on, God, God's community people, this is not how our attitude should be. We should not be so self-centered that we talk and presume on life this way. To act this way. To make our communication this way. And James says, be humble, not arrogant. Listen to how he puts it. You boast in your arrogance And all such boasting is evil. And what James is saying is something very, very striking. He says that when you're planning without factoring God into your thoughts and plans, without factoring in the ultimate reality of who God is over you, the King, the true King, then you're being arrogant. And when you're big, when you're arrogant, when you're so full of pride, you know what you do? You boast. You boast. And sometimes it gets even worse. It goes to an even dangerous place. You know it's wrong. But you still boast because you're so full of yourself. We're so full of ourselves. And ultimately, when you boast, you're sinning. And so, James is taking something pretty mundane, right? The way people think about their lives. And he says... Arrogance leads to boasting, and boasting is a sin. And boasting is sin because it's evil. I told you earlier that the reaction of the world might be, 
Come on. Everyone speaks something about their neighbor once in a while. Everyone says something that's not really good. People do malign one another or say something about one another when the other person's not there. People always kind of leave God out every once in a while. Isn't that okay? Come on, that's just how everybody is. That's just how the world is. That's how humans are. And then James gives us verse 17. I want you to listen to this. Okay, please listen extra carefully. Verse 17. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Does that hit you? Does that land on you? (laughs) With all these things that we just kind of said, well, is that really a big deal? To kind of leave God out of our speech when we're talking about all our great plans and thoughts. James just says, don't do that. Don't live like that. Don't have an inner heart attitude like you're in charge, like you're king, you're sovereign, you control time, you control plans, you control the weather, you control... You're not in control of anything. That's why James gives us, I mean, Jesus gives us that parable. That rich man who he called a fool. And James says in verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Do you hear the, the power behind that? Listen, those of you who are here today, you've just heard God's Word. You've all just heard what God's Word had to say about this topic. So no one in this room and no one who's read this passage before or heard this preached before can claim ignorance. You cannot. Because what James is talking about is not a sin of transgression, but a sin of omission. The things you know you should do, but you don't do. For those of you who know what is right to do, but does not do it, that is sin. That includes what we've just been told about, about having a presumptive spirit that's all wrapped around us. I have to tell you, um, the finger is always pointing backwards. This is me. This is me. I am a control freak. Maybe like you. I want things certain ways and I say, oh, I'll see you. I'll see you there. But really, kind of what I'm saying is, I've got it all planned out. Got my tickets. But I have no control of even tonight. I don't even know what's going to happen to me tonight. I am completely in God's hands. If God lets me live, I'll meet you. If God lets me work, I'll work. And I'll make a profit. If God lets us, then we will do all those things under His grace towards us. But otherwise, we have to repent, brothers and sisters, of this attitude. It's an attitude that's a check. It's like a strip test. What does the strip say? What is it for you? Do you have a spirit inside of you that's so full of us that we think and live this way? It's thought that goes towards speech when we begin to act and talk this way. 
I'm going to stop here, but I'm going to read to you a few lines of a song that I mentioned before. It's by Andrew Peterson, and it's called The Chasing Song. Look it up. Many of you have heard it already. Well, I realize that falling down ain't graceful, but I thank the Lord that falling's full of grace. Sometimes I take my eyes off Jesus, and you know that's all it takes. While I wish that I could say that at the close of every day, I was happy with the way that I'm behaving. Because Job, he chased an answer. The wise men chased the child. Jacob chased her 14 years and he captured Rachel's smile. And Moses chased the promised land. Joseph chased a dream. David, he chased God's own heart. All I ever seem to chase is me. All I ever seem to chase is me. You know what the answer is? Repent. And by repent, I mean this. Ask for forgiveness of our spirit of arrogance and pride and say, Lord, I am so totally in Your hands. I'm so dependent on You. By the way, friends, you've heard me say this, but for those of you you who are new here to our church, when I got Lyme disease and I slept 10 hours a day, I woke up feeling like I didn't have the strength to tie my shoelaces. I didn't have the strength to tie my shoelaces to go to class. I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm so dependent on the grace of God. And on Jesus, His Son, who obeyed perfectly, who had the right attitude all the time, and connected to Jesus, I'm forgiven. I trust His ability to keep everything, to keep the law, to to have the right speech. I know I'm going to fall again, but I connect myself to Jesus who says, I've done it for you. You are holy in my sight. Would you trust Him today? My brothers and sisters in the church, if you have things you need to get right with God, don't count on tomorrow. Do it today. Do it today. Get right with the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Repent of the Spirit that is so worldly in us because all I ever chase is me. I hope this helps. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that You are in charge. You are on Your throne. You are God alone. We are not God. You are God. And everything You have given us is by Your grace and kindness and mercy, including this day to live for You. Lord, I pray that um, we would surrender ourselves to You today. We would allow You to be King and that we would remove ourselves from kingship, Lord. Thank You that You are sovereign indeed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.